What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Parker said, sometimes with the British film industry, it's hard to know if we're waving or drowning. Let's find out. Welcome to another BritFlix.com podcast. My name's Stuart Ryan, and today's guest is Alberto Shama. Good morning to you. Good morning. Very good morning. Indeed, indeed. Now, we've come on here to talk about your film, I Love Mum. Which I is, love my mum. Oh, I love my mum. Sorry, yes. I love my <laughs> yeah, mum anyway. No problem. Um, uh, I love my mum, which is out now, um, and people can see it at the cinemas, and they can get it on VOD, is that right? Uh, the VOD has not come out yet. Uh, at the moment, we are playing all over the place. We played in, uh, in, uh, in, the, in the Prince Charles. We are going to Glasgow, Leeds, Romford, Manchester, Liverpool... Petersburg, etc., etc. You can find all the info in I Love My Mom Movie dot com. Okay, well, um, I'll put a link in the show notes and just brilliant. just to, just to date the conversation. We're talking now on Thursday, the sixth of June, and uh, we'll put a link in the show notes so people can see it now. So, for people to go and see it, then do you want to give people a brief synopsis as to what I Love My Mum is about? I Love My Mum is a roller coaster uh, movie. It's a it's a it's a road movie. It's a movie about a mother and his uh, uh, 21-year-old son. Mm-hmm. And uh, the movie uh, just starts with a really silly premise uh, uh, about an, uh, an argument about cheese, which propels uh, through a series of accidents um, those guys to discuss, to have a car crash, end up inside a container. The container is transported to Morocco. And then the movie really starts in which uh, those two guys, still in their pajamas with no money or documents, have to basically find a way back home, um, back to Tilbury, which is where the movie starts. Uh, and it's just the two Brits abroad trying to find a way, a way home. Indeed, indeed. It is an absolutely wonderful British, British farce of, uh, of a very, 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 which I found it's very a, funny. A British farce made by an Spaniard. <laughs> an Spaniard that, that has been in the UK for more than half my life. So is that right? Even if I, yeah, absolutely. Even if I have an accent, uh, mm. uh, I'm very much, uh, I always write in English and I'm very much uh, UK based. So Indeed. No, no. But just to give people a sense, because you, you start off at Tilbury Docks, uh, which, mm-hmm. is, which is, you know, sort of very south, very southeast England. And uh, you take that, you take that abroad, and take that from 
from Morocco and up through uh, up through Spain and France. Spain. Yeah, I mean, basically, I wanted to have these two these two normal characters, mm -hmm. and I wanted to grab them and transport them in a rocket to the moon. Now, the the rocket became a container, a shipping container in a cargo ship and the moon became North Africa and then having to find all the way, well, look, all let's, the way back let's, home. Now you wrote and directed this movie so um so let's um let's start at the beginning then. So when you were mm -hmm. what was what was the sort of general conception of this idea or the inspiration for this idea that led to I love my mum? Well the I mean the I would say that the general inspiration is obviously anecdotes of my own life. Mm -hmm. I mean when you write uh, ultimately regardless how far fetched the visuals and the ideas are on the page yeah. they are always based on on a feeling that one has inside. Um as I was saying I'm Spanish but uh, I don't consider myself Spanish. I'm in England mm -hmm. uh, for you know uh, nearly most of my life. And, uh, and I've always felt a little bit detached. I, I've always felt, um, um, I don't know, not belonging anywhere. Right. Uh, when I'm in England, I, if I get into a taxi, they ask me, oh, are you here visiting? Um, you know, <laughs> are, you not, are you on a holiday or whatever? And I'm, you know, I'm thinking, no, I'm not. But when I go to Spain, I have the same. Uh, they don't consider me Spanish anymore as such. So that sense of being... Uh, left in the middle of nowhere is a little bit the feeling that is transported into into the into the script now uh, what happened was that i was working in a different script many years ago another comedy called five idiots which it was a heist movie which i hope to do one day a silly comedy heist movie and uh, it was five characters and two of them were ron and olga um and and i really enjoyed their bickering, and I really enjoyed the ping pong that um, I was able to 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 write down on the on, on the script of Five Videos yeah. between these two guys. So I uh, and I was having fun. So I thought, well, why don't I take those two characters and put them in a completely different story and and play with it? So I started with a blank page. I didn't know where the story was going to take me, uh, and I wrote the first pages only around Ron and Olga, which is the two characters, the mother and son. Mm -hmm. And then slowly a story started to develop, which became I Love My Mom. So really the two characters uh, were the instigator, but from a different script into I Love My Mom. I love that. So so almost like a, in the same way that a, sort of Blumhouse sort of takes elements of one horror film and makes standalone horror films, you've took a, you've took a, 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 a amalgam yeah. of people and made a standalone film from people involved in it. Yeah, I mean, you know, seriously, through the process of writing, I, I was really, really having fun with those two. And, uh, and you see, when you are writing a comedy, because I've done genre movies, I've done horror and thrillers and stuff, and, and you always have to go to a dark place for those. You have yeah. to visualize and imagine things which sometimes are silly or disgusting or, or heavy or... or, or, or and, and when you're writing a comedy, and even more a comedy like, uh, like, which is sort of a farce, like I love my mom, mm. you are constantly thinking about silly jokes, you know, and gags, and 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 you know. So it's fun. It's fun to do because you are in that headspace, which is much more relaxed, let's say, than when you are writing heavier material, you know. But this, I mean, but but I mean, this is a one thing about I love my mom that I really enjoyed is that. It's a, it's a, obviously a road movie in, in every sense of the word, and it's also a fast-paced comedy at the same time. So the pace of the 
the journey is also matched by a rapid fire amount of jokes. So yeah, it's, how it's do you, rapid how, fire. How do you? I mean, that must. There's some pressure there, and 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 also. In that sense, from a writing point of view, how do you balance the kind of need for a gag and a need to push your narrative forward? Well, the narrative, which is the backbone, obviously, mm -hmm. of the whole story, is really the relationship about those two guys. Mm -hmm. The fact that they are that they have absolutely no intellectual curiosity. So the so the world that we see around them could be anything. Could be you know a shopping mall. Yeah. But it happens to be this uh, uh, these different countries. And that, um, and, 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 and that's the sort of the backbone, you know, the backbone is the story of these two guys, a story about identity, about finding the way home, what home means, etc., etc. But the reality is that this is a very hidden backbone in a way, like the social backbone is also very, very hidden. Mm. And what it is, is what you say is, is basically, uh, and the way I wanted to approach it was uh, um, like a collection of gags in a way uh, mm. that that tell us something about about those characters, and also it tells us something, or I hope, about uh, how I see life, basically, which is that uh, all the payoffs of the movie are absurd, you know, and I, I consider life rather absurd. So consequently, that was you know transmitted into into the story, into the script. No, 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 it's for sure. Uh, watching it, it is it is wonderfully absurd because. But also, and, I'm, and I never thought about the kind of, I mean, once you say it, it's, it's kind of obvious, like, that, that both Olga and Ron don't have a kind of curious bone in their body. All they're interested in is getting home, which kind of gives a, an interesting focal point to how the story develops. But also, they do in the end, and, and it's, you know, subtext and that, but also explicitly as we get into the movie, they do reveal a depth to themselves that that, that is more than just shouting and bickering which i thought was a really yeah. nice part of the really nice part of the journey for me absolutely the absolutely but this depth is a is a is a natural depth it's a depth that we all have mm. because we all go through ups and downs we all have uh, breaks up and disappointments we are all searching for something in one way or in another so it's a it's not a, um a, it doesn't have a social commentary as such it, it has more of a humanistic one mm. um but, uh, you know, what I wanted is that all of that was simply uh, uh, the vehicle to take us into, into this fun ride. I mean, for me, the, uh, now that we are starting to screen the movie in theaters, the best response is when people are laughing rather than when people are thinking. Mm. Um, you know, I found quite interesting, actually, in the screens that we had so far that uh, with the movies I've done previously, it's very difficult to judge the audience reaction when you are in the cinema. But, but instead, with a comedy, it's very easy. Either people are laughing or they are not laughing. You know, they're giggling <laughs> or they are not giggling. Yeah, so yeah, it's quite yeah. rewarding, you know. And, and, that, uh, and that is what I, I really, you know, would like people to feel. Uh, that, you know, the ones that like it, I would like them to laugh. That's it. So, uh, this, obviously, it relies heavily on its central cast um, of, um, of the mother and the son. So what was your process about casting... Kirsten Waring and Tommy French in those two roles, because obviously their chemistry as well as their performance, the film lives or dies on it, doesn't it? Absolutely. I was super, obviously, super concerned on, on getting a good couple. What happened was that uh, I was working with a casting director called Simone Pereira Hind. It's an English woman, but she lives in Scotland. Mm -hmm. And we started talking about how we could approach this. 
you know, taken into consideration uh, budget, time scales, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And and uh, Kirsten Wary was suggested to me. Um, I knew her because I knew a new fish tank and, and uh, it's a free world and some of the of the earlier movies. Mm-hmm. And I had seen her a little bit in standards as well. So basically, uh, she should, um, we had a meeting, we had a chat in London, and uh, I, I discovered she wasn't actually hearing anything I was saying, which I loved, um, because she is, I mean, Kirsten is fantastic, but she's in Planet Kirsten, and that's great. <laughs> um, so then I realized, okay, I think I have the mom. Uh, she read all the script, etc. she loved it, and she said yes. Once we had the mom, then uh, it was time to find the son. Uh, I didn't want to start looking for the son before I knew who the mom was going to be because of age and everything else. Yeah. So, so we actually did, uh, um, uh, we asked certain actors to send uh, tapes. Uh, we got uh, like 50 whatever tapes of, of, of young actors. And Tommy, Tommy French striked me immediately. Uh, and then we, we got Tommy in a room with Kirsten uh, they rehearsed some lines. I asked them to sing Blowing Bubbles. They sang it really badly, which was perfect. <laughs> and, and, then, uh, and then I could see the chemistry was there. Um, and, and, and so they were obviously contracted, and, and they came with us on the road. Um, and, and that became, you know, the, the main cast. Because obviously the movie, I mean, the, either... Both of them, or one of them, is all the time on the frame. Mm. Um, it's, uh, it's constantly there in every scene. So I need somebody also that was able to endure guerrilla filmmaking and, and, and going through the process of seven weeks shooting in all kinds of different countries. Yeah. And, uh, and they are very tough. They were very, very tough and really fantastic to work with. Uh, they didn't complain. They, 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 you know, they were put in the sea, well, a million anecdotes happened with them, and, uh, and I knew that they, they would be able to work together. What was, what was um, what sort of Kirsten's approach to, to the character? Because I don't think she left anything out, you know, off, off <laughs> you know, it's sort of, she put everything out there. In a way, there's a, there's like, a, it felt like there's a, there's a bit of lineage between the character she plays in Fishtown and Olga, and you're almost like there's like, there's this kitchen sink version of of Olga, which you know, I know it's not the same character, yeah. but, but just no, be it's watching. not the same character. But you know, Kirsten is Kirsten is Kirsten. I mean, she has a, she she has a lot of range, in fact. Yeah, I mean, but, no, this um, is this isn't to suggest narrow. It's just more the fact that she doesn't hide any of it. It's like if you want her to be this character, then she'll go to she'll turn up. She seemingly is happy to turn up to eleven and and sod the consequences of. Uh, she, in, in a sense, it's like there's trust in your character and your story in her performance, if you know what I mean. I believed Olga was real. You know, I didn't think it was an actor playing a part. Yeah, and that's the great thing that Kirsten brought on the table, is that sense of reality. I mean, it's two things there. The first one is that I knew that the, the situations that they go through are so absurd and mm. so far-fetched that I needed to ground it. Mm. And to ground it, I needed a, um, a sort of realistic acting plus a certain way of shooting it, which is also very naturalistic, that will make it uh, more real, you know. Because the more real the background, the base of the pizza is, the more ingredients I can put on top, even if it's pineapple <laughs> or whatever, and it still works. Nice metaphor. Yeah, and, and, and also, uh, I mean, Kirsten, 
I, I mean, she totally went for it. I yeah. mean, when we were in Morocco, uh, uh, for those who have seen stills of the movie or the movie itself, she's wearing, obviously they're in their pajamas for most of the movie. And she's wearing uh, this, uh, this gown, this pink gown with these little uh, shorts, etc. And, and, and I mean, she wouldn't take it off. She was, you know, even when we stopped filming at night that everybody went for a shower or whatever, I mean, she would still in her costume. She sort of became that character, but not in a sort of method acting way of sort of getting inside the character. Simply, she just flew with it. She just went with it and became Olga. Uh, so every time we pointed the camera at her and tried to do some extra impro or whatever, she 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 would switch on and and pip, and it would happen. You know, Olga would come alive. I mean, mm. she's really good. You know. No, and, and also with with that sort of full on performance, she still still manages to be there on the on the kind of when you when you're delivering the punchlines in the film as well. So it, it still sort of hits the right laugh as well. And, and in a sense, the odd couple part of of her and Ron. He's like, in the end, Tommy's French is playing like her straight man, isn't he? In many senses. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, in a way, it's a reversal of roles, uh, which is, you know, it's a very traditional thing to mm. do anyway, uh, which is the mom is the crazy one and the son is the, is the you know, is the straight one, mm. uh, if you want to put it. But obviously, though they are uh, arguing and bickering throughout, there is a huge amount of love between them. Ultimately, they love mm. each other and they want to and they want to help each other in whatever way, even if they feel incapable of expressing it in normal terms. It is, that is, that is one of the best things that I, that I was able to take away from the film, is that idea of, of that, what do you call it, unconditional love between a parent and child is, is always there. No matter how much they fight cat and dog, yeah, you absolutely. know for a fact that there's a, there's a mother's love for a son and a son's love for his mother. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, uh, you know, she's quite heavy to him, but, uh, he is still, you know, he's there. He's hanging there. Um, uh, he thinks that uh, she's ill, et cetera, et cetera. She's, he's been taking care of her all the time, um, et cetera. But I mean, the interesting thing is that when we were on the set, when we were shooting, um, they would, uh, um, not the characters, but the action, the actors, Tommy French and Kirsten, mm-hmm. they would actually help each other. Um, they became, I don't know, I mean, it's some stuff that we left in the movie that maybe one of them flashed a line, but then the other one would jump in with a joke. And okay. I mean, somehow, you know, making it work. So they developed quite early on that sort of uh, uh, comedy duo, comedy act relationship, which it really, really helped because obviously we had to shoot very fast. We didn't have much rehearsal times, etc. So it really helps when, when the chemistry is already there, built, so you can just point the camera and, and get it going. Yeah, so you've already, you've already suggested in what you were saying that there was a kind of a, a very sort of hands-on sort of guerrilla approach to what you were doing to get everything in the can. So what, what was your conversation like with your cinematographer, uh, Fabio Pellucci, is it? Yeah, Fabio Pellucci. Yeah, what, what, was um, your, what was your conversation like with, with him about what you wanted to achieve, you know, Visually. Well, he was he was um, structural at the very very beginning, and obviously throughout the shoot, yeah. and throughout all the rest, mm-hmm. uh, and so was the composer. Funnily enough, but we can talk about that later. Mm-hmm. Uh, I started working with Fabio like uh, like a year before we started shooting, mm-hmm. and obviously uh, at the at the beginning when we were trying to put together uh, or the t- the producers were trying to put together a budget, etc. 
you know, the movie was coming like a double of what it actually cost. Right. Uh, so uh, we had to reduce numbers. So consequently, I sat down with him, uh, with Fabio, and I said, okay, how can we make this thing work? Because obviously, it's a movie that starts in England, in Tilbury, and it goes all over the place. It goes, we actually shot in Italy, in different places in Italy. We, one week we shot in Morocco, but when I mean Morocco, it's in Marrakesh, all the way up to Tangiers, in Tangiers, etc. We shot in Spain, but all over Spain. We shot in Catalonia, in the Pyrenees. We shot in the coast of Catalonia. We shot in Benidorm. And, and we did time lapses, uh, you know, just driving from one side to the other of Spain, mm -hmm. and etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it was a, a, a very complex movie to put together when you don't have all the all the all, all the money you will want. Yeah. Uh, so I sat down with him and we said, okay, how can we do that? How can we get uh, a style that is going to fit our needs, not only the creative needs but the financial needs? So we came up with this uh, um, approach, which was basically a lot of handheld, a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, let the situation develop. Most of the stuff is exterior, so we wouldn't need many lights, etc., etc. And, and we started designing shots um, and planning shots. So the planning process was very, very important, and that meant that the DOP and, men, and me spent alone, but a long time in Morocco, in, in the mountains, everywhere where we were going to shoot. Because we knew that when we arrived to, let's say, Marrakesh, we may not be able to, to obviously block streets, etc., etc. So we needed to know the areas like the palm of our hand. So we could go there and improvise, basically. Just put the actors there, and if for whatever reason the police came, we could move to the next location or find an alternative or whatever it was. So, so, uh, so what you're saying is it's like part of the experience of, 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 of trying to keep the cost down and knowing that costs were already drilled down was to be as prepared as you could for the location. Absolutely, yeah. Shoot I mean, the preparation was, I mean, normally uh, in an indie movie, you start uh, wrecking, I don't know, or, or finalize, uh, technical wreckings, yeah? I mean, finalizing yeah. the locations, etc. a month before, you know, because you don't have the possibility of doing that. Instead, we spent a whole year just, just planning everything. Um, and we needed, I mean, it's interesting because when you want to do something very free-spirited and very improvised in its look, you need actually a huge amount of knowledge and background of where you are going to do it, how you are going to do it, how you are going to hide your cameras, etc. I mean, it's like in Benidorm, when we were shooting some beach uh, scenes, which at the end of the day in the movie is only a few seconds, but in mm. fact we shot uh, for two days just to get those shots. Wow. We, we were hiding the camera in a cooler. So, so we had a cooler. We were looking like tourists in, in our swimming trunks. Mm -hmm. and, and, and we had a cooler, and then we had a, a guy behind, uh, uh, the, the assistant of the DOP with an iPad, uh, trying to, you know, doing all the focus and stuff. And, uh, and so we had to find ways of hiding everything. In fact, it was funny because in Morocco, we created a special rucksack where to fit the camera, very mm -hmm. big rucksack. Um, and we had planned, okay, we're going to put the camera in the rucksack, we're going to do this, we're going to do the other, otherwise we use a smaller camera and this and the other and blah, blah, blah. So, so but, let me just get this right. So you're basically describing how you shot scenes in very public areas so that you yeah. didn't disrupt the public area by people knowing you were shooting a film. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Brilliant. to try to get that real, 
uh, neorealist feeling, if yeah, you want, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, that yeah, sort yeah. of Italian flavor to it. I mean, the funny thing in Morocco is that we realized that no one was looking at the camera crew. <laughs> Everybody was looking at Kirsten. Yeah, a blonde So then we, we decided, okay, we don't need to hide the camera. Everybody's looking at this half-naked woman walking yeah, yeah. around. Yeah. So consequently, we, we, you know, we can get away just with shooting normally. Now, um, now, now you mentioned you mentioned your composer before. So what 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 relationship did the composer? Uh, so I'm going to try Massa, Massimiliano Lazzaretti. Is that right? M Massimiliano Lazzaretti, yeah. yeah, or Max for short. Max uh, Lazzaretti. Then. So what was <laughs> what, what was his role then in in um, in this kind of developing the film? Um, well, because because I wanted all the creative elements of the movie to be very clear from the very beginning, as soon as I finished the script, and I knew that it could be shot. Mm -hmm. So uh, I wanted to engage two key persons for me, yeah. even more at that point than, than producers. One was the DOP, which is what we've been talking about, and the other one was the composer, because for me the sound of the movie had to be a very specific sort of sound. So I had made a movie in Italy uh, before this one mm -hmm. in Rome uh, called Bite. Uh, I think they changed the title to, to, to Blood Trap or something like that. Uh, and, um, and, and through a series of friends, I met, I met this composer. Uh, he's a young guy, etc. And we had many, many conversations of how the sound had to be. Mm -hmm. um, so the fact that he was starting to compose like a year before we started shooting it meant that I was able to, uh, to, be, uh, to visualize it better. And it, it also helped uh, the DOP understand the pacing of certain moments. A lot of that early music didn't end up in the movie, but it, in, in, in its style, it, it helped us, you know. Okay. Um, so it was good in that sense. Right. Now, you've, you've obviously talked about all the different locations you, 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 uh, you, you, you shot the film in. So in that sense, looking back on the experience of what you did and what you achieved and, where you, and how far you travelled to achieve it, what for you is the kind of the shot in the movie or the sequence in the movie you're kind of most proud of that, you know, when you, when you were first about to, about to try and get it in the camera, you were kind of like, right, how the fuck are we going to get this done? Yeah, it's, it's uh, uh, well... Some early scenes in, the, in, uh, in, in Morocco, I'm very proud of, simply because I know how difficult it was to get them. Mm -hmm. I mean, really, really difficult to get those shots. And also in the mountains, funny enough, because uh, you see when, when they are traveling the Pyrenees, you, you, you know, at the end of the day, to get those shots, it was only me and the DOP. Really? And we would get, yeah, and we would get some people from the towns, put them in the costumes, put them far away walking and get in the shot. So I'm proud of those simply because, how, again, how difficult it was you know, to get them because it meant me and the DOP having to spend maybe six hours, and I'm not joking, climbing a bloody mountain so that <laughs> we, could get, we could get a shot you know? well, there and, are, then, there, and there, then go on to the next one. I was going to say, well, you, you were rewarded because those, those, um, those shots up in the pyramid, it's, it's just like it does... Because the film's been quite tight and intense in terms of the you know the want to get back quickly and so because mountains are so expansive suddenly the film becomes vistas um, yeah it opens sense. up yeah 
in, in one of the earlier cuts, those shots or those scene sequences were much longer, mm-hmm. but it was starting to become like, I don't know, like a tourist uh, advertising yeah, it's got, it's, it's a fine line, documentary. It? You know? it's, a, it's a fine so line. So we had to cut them. Yeah. It's a fine it's line, always, isn't it? Yeah, it's a fine line. And it's always a pity because as a director, you think, oh my God, no, just keep it longer, you know, six hours of that mountain shot. <laughs> but uh, because it was so hard to get. But obviously, we had to compromise and try to get uh, a certain rhythm going um, now, now, in the movie. Now, you, 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 you wrong footers all. I mean, what's lovely about the way the story evolves is that there's a series of kind of reversal of expectations that, that you deliver lovely. Um, uh, the various twists and turns, and I won't do, do any spoilers for Cosy because it's a new film. Um, but for me personally, with, with all that aside, which I thought, you know, from a writing point of view, it was absolutely perfect. But then. Because I didn't, I did. I often try and go into films as cold as I can. To then be confronted with Frank LaBeouf of uh, ex Chelsea <laughs> player towards the end of the film, I was like, "You've just knocked my socks off." So, so talk, talk <laughs> to me about casting Frank LaBeouf in a film. Well, we need we need a French character to play to play the father. Yeah. And again, the casting director suggested him. Really? And uh, yeah. And I knew, because I had read that in the past, that he had done a certain amount of theater in, in France, yeah. in Paris. Um, and obviously I knew that he was in the Tree of Life in a small scene. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I thought, yeah, because I always imagined the father as a bon vivant, as a happy guy, etc., etc. Yeah. And Frank in real life is a little bit like that. So we had a meeting, we saw him, and, and I thought, yeah, it's, it can work. You know? I mean, in fact, we have quite a lot of funny anecdotes with him because he's a, he's a super happy guy. He's, um, he's and a brilliant you know. performance, I should add, as well. It is a really Yeah, he's super natural, super, you know, super relaxed. We did a lot of improv as well throughout all those sequences. Yeah. And, and he, just to help him relax and, and help everybody that was in those scenes sort of get on together, etc. And then, and then we went back to the script and shot, uh, and shot the movie mm. uh, or the scenes, and, and it worked. You know? It was quite funny because, in fact, with Frank, um, we were, I mean, the whole crew was living at that point in the same house where we were shooting. Right. Because obviously, as I said before, it's a low-budget movie, so consequently you have to be as economical as possible. Of course. So we became a little bit of a family. And, and when he arrived and, and we started talking and we were a few hours from starting the first scene, I, I had asked one of the runners to go and get a football uh, because I thought, oh my God, if we have a football, I can maybe grab some shots of the character of the father and the character of the son playing football together. And obviously it's Frank LeBeuf, so mm. it, should, it should be funny. And, and as the runner was coming back with a football, he's telling me, I hate when people ask me to do football things in 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 plays or movies or whatever. <laughs> so I was like telling the runner, "Go away, hide, hide the ball." <laughs> so you know, I don't know. I mean, he's just a happy guy. He's just a good guy, and uh, and it was interesting also because Tommy French, the actor who plays Ron, um, really admires him. So he was like super happy that he was in the movie. You know, um, yeah. Now, one last, one last uh, sort of sequence in it that, 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 uh, in terms of how the film's made. So we've done writing, we've done sort of talks about casting and, and, and producing a film, and, you know, they, they say that a film is written, produced, and then edited. So when you went into the edit suite with, um, with Mark Davis, um, what did you discover in the film that wasn't 
something you were aware of before going in the edits room? Yeah, I mean, with Mark, uh, Mark obviously is a, is a very good uh, uh, editor. Mm -hmm. He's done a lot of the stuff in Peaky Blinders and, and he's very good with music and he's done all kind of big, big uh, shows, TV and movies. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and basically what we discovered, or what we tried to do is how cringy can we make it without crossing the line? And when do we put the payoff to stop that cringiness dry? Mm -hmm. So, so the strategy with him was always to push the envelope as much as we could with the scenes, and then we would uh, reflect back and think, "Oh my God, this has gone far too cringy, far too absurd," and and pull it back. So, uh, it was really, I mean, you know, it was really putting all the all the pieces of the of the puzzle together with him, as it always is with editing. Yeah, but it was also. Um, truly, in this case, more than in the other movies I've done, reshaping the tone of the movie, you know, keeping that, uh, you know, taking it to the absurd, to the point that him and me would look at each other and say, oh, my God, people are going to completely hate this moment. And then we'll push it a little bit more and then we'll, you know, pull it back. So it was that, uh, I mean, when I say hate this moment, I say that with a, with a cheeky smile, obviously. Yeah. So is that, is that, in a way, you're talking about the bit like when they talk about horror films where where um, if you push it too far and don't deliver the scare, as it were, people begin exactly. to stop trusting the film. And if you don't deliver the laugh, then people stop trusting the, the sort of cringiness ab of it. Absolutely. I mean, um, yes. I mean, you need to deliver the scare and you need to deliver the love. So yeah. obviously humor is, is, is uh, I mean, this is my first comedy. Right. I've written others, but this is the first one I've actually made. Mm -hmm. And humor uh, uh, is such a personal thing. Um, even in different countries, people react different, you know, different audiences that have seen this movie uh, uh, in different countries, they react differently because, because humor is such a, such a national and such a, uh, uh, it's, it's a very difficult thing to nail down. No, so I was going to say, you know, talking to you now and obviously knowing you're Spanish, um, you've made, a, 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 and what you'd start off talking about, this idea of, you know, living so long in Britain as you have, coming from Spain like you do, but not having a sense of place in either camp. Um, but you've managed to create a, uh, and like I said at the, at the beginning, you've managed to create what, what appears to be, you know, a very British, genuine British farce. And, you know, I didn't, I didn't think this is like going through some sort of filter. It felt very, a very honest uh, portrayal of, um, of sort of, I, I want to say Brits abroad, but even that's wrong. It's, it's more a portrayal of a mother and son you know, fighting like cat and dog and the jokes that come out of that. It, it, yeah, yeah, I, I hope so. I mean, uh, obviously they are based in a way on characters I've met through my time here. Yeah. And, uh, and a lot of the, of the anecdotes, though in the movie they are taken <coughs> to the stratosphere, they are actually things that I can recall. Mm -hmm. um, so so I... I I, I really love this sort of kitchen sink American, uh, American, English movies. Mm -hmm. And, and, and I wanted to try to get that tone somehow. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I don't know. I mean, I mean, people ask me, I mean, yes, uh, I mean, yes, I'm a Spanish, but it's not like I wanted to be a Spanish or English or anything. Um, no, no, sure. No, I, that's what I'm saying. I, I did the movie in whatever way but hum, I, I was but hum, capable of. But humor is a very sort of, is, is one of the things that, that sort of, identifies as much more than a lot of things, isn't it? In, yeah, if, absolutely. If, if you go out across the whole globe, a thing that makes a man laugh in Marrakesh or a woman laugh in Budapest is different from somebody in Tilbury Docks. 
you know, yeah. in a sense. I mean, there are obviously a lot, so you, you know, Mr. Yeah, Bates. and if you think about it, I mean, I mean, I'm sort of reflecting on what you are saying because I presume that the movie has um, many elements of, uh, of British uh, humor, mm-hmm. and it has certain surreal touches which probably will belong more to, to Spanish filmmaking or, or Italian filmmaking. So it has this sort of combo. Uh, in a way, but the well, characters. I was going to say though, but, more... I was going to say though, but but uh, from what I've seen of sort of the the sort of Italian and Spanish sort of fast stuff, that whole kind of um, heightened absurdity is 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 pretty normal, and it is it's that's maybe where the universal truth is. If you heighten mm-hmm. the absurdity, then then we all can laugh at it. Yeah, absolutely, because everything is at the end of the day. If you look at at your own life, everything. It's, it's rather absurd. And, and, and also, you know, the old phrase of like, you know, if you can't laugh, you know, if you can't laugh at yourself, you, you, you're, you're pretty lost, aren't you? In a sense. Yeah, and the, and the movie is very self-deprecating. Mm. I mean, the movie is, is it never takes or tries to take itself seriously. Mm. It's always like the characters don't take themselves seriously. You know, like the characters just wander around this this universe that they they they, they, they like like two floating lemons. You know, and mm. um, you know, I don't know. Well, look, uh, congratulations on I Love My Mum. I thought it was a fantastic movie. I enjoyed it a lot. Um, let's remind people, how can they see the film? Well, they can go to ilovemymummovie.com. And mm-hmm. in there is a, it's a listing of everywhere we're playing, everything that is happening, all the great audiences we're encountering on the way, etc., etc. And then I believe that sometime in July is coming out on VOD as well. So, but I don't have an exact date. Okay. I love my mom movie.com. That's the place. Cool. Well, we'll put a link in the show notes so everyone can find it. Brilliant. That. Just takes me to say thank you very much for giving us your time on the Britflix podcast. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. The Britflix podcast is provided absolutely free. If you want to help me get the podcast out to more people, please take a moment to leave a review on iTunes. Or if you want to help me out directly, there's a link in the show notes to my Patreon page. All contributions are welcome. And the music is by Chris Reed of thecomposers.tv. special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Hey, y'all. Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. You did so.